Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to Keep Canada Weird, a weekly weird news roundup by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the weekly Keep Canada Weird discussion series. If you're new here in Keep Canada Weird, my pal Handsome Aaron Airport and I seek out and explore some of the more offbeat Canadian news stories from the past week. In tonight's episode, which we recorded during the evening of August 11th, 2022, Aaron and I feel a little suspicious about some new residents in Ottawa. We contemplate the New World Order and its possible effects on Canadian mortgages. And we celebrate the return of two beloved pets. So let's get into it. Handsome Aaron Airport. It's Thursday as opposed to Tuesday, but I guess that's when we're doing this now. How are you? Oh, I'm Thursday riffic. How else do you react to like something like Thursday riffic other than like, ah? Uh, hoo hoo. Haba uh, What's new with you? Um, you were nothing. At the, you were at the Skyline Trail. I saw you up there. Oh, yes. You saw my Instagram. Yes, I was at the Skyline Trail. What were you doing um, there? What was I doing there? Mm-hmm personal well um this is keep and, canada weird not keep canada personal not keep aaron's life open in public yeah um, yeah you think it's just a open book just whatever pages you want to rip out just take them <laughs> throw we, them on the fire we did the episode together about the um the tragic death of taylor mitchell um i'm surprised you went to skyline after because that was where that's where it happens yeah a young woman was attacked by coyotes um well Yes. And, you know, I was thinking about that while I was there. It didn't deter me because if you go in the summertime in the middle of the day to Skyline, there are so many people there Mm -hmm. that you don't have to worry about coyotes coming onto the main trail. Um, If I was there alone, you know, in the fall, kind of uh, maybe, uh, you know, later in the day when there's not really anyone around, then you know but i i bring a stick with me i bring a big i have a big walking stick that i that i bought a few years ago that you know also has a little poker on it too you oh. take the little on the bottom of the stick you take the nub off and then there's a little poker in there too ah my papa eddie had one of those he told me mm-hmm. uh he's like they made this so that if i'm walking on ice I, it will help me keep my balance but if anyone ever tries to mug me they'll have this in the neck I remember yeah, saying something yeah, like that. right to the neck. Yeah. That's that's what I carry with me. It's some it's not a secret I like to divulge live on YouTube and you know on, on audio podcasts around the world that my secret weapon is underneath the nub of my stick. <laughs> but here we are. But uh, here we are. I I you know, you wanted the reality of my life, and this is this. I I remove the nub and I jab you with the truth. Um, as far as what's up with me i guess the only thing i got going on is today i got in the mail um my ammunition that i'm going to use uh in my battle against service nova scotia and the registry of joint stock companies if you don't know what i'm talking about two or three years ago or whenever it was i did the episode about glove guy 
Uh, mm-hmm. Glove guy didn't like what I did, so he went on like this kind of cyber squatting campaign. Where oh he... yeah, so I remember this when this yeah. was happening. So so he basically this guy put um, registered uh, registered the name the Nighttime Podcast as if it was a business he owned in Nova Scotia, as a way to like oh, act sick. as if yeah, acting as if he owned it. Um, and the registry won't deal with me uh, unless I can show that I actually own it. But the process to get a trademark approved in Canada is like a four year kind of process. So as this mm-hmm. was all going on, my trademark for the nighttime was still going through that review process. Finally, now it's approved and I, they sent me in the mail. I actually just got it this morning, like a certificate showing that, you know, Intellectual Property Canada recognizes the nighttime podcast as a registered trademark of me. So I will now need to use that document uh, and go to Service Nova Scotia and see what they're going to do. But out of the whole thing, yeah. is just completely insane. But at the same time, I kind of love a weird, crazy experience. And that is certainly one. That is a just bizarre. You've had many bizarre adventures on this show, but Jordan... Life is a beautiful strawberry. Yeah. Um, and how? What else do you want to hear from me? I just told it, you. it just seems like it needs that needs to be followed up with something like life. Okay, is a life strawberry. is a beautiful strawberry. It's it's juicy, filled with seeds, and uh, a shortcake can be made out of it, and it's delicious. Oh. But careful, don't choke on one. Hmm. Uh, I got one piece of breaking news for you. Uh, we generally... I don't care to hear it. So I'm just going to say it. Plug your ears. We, in advance, will usually discuss the topics we're going to be covering and the stories that we'll talk about tonight. But just before we went live, I got an email from a listener named Steph letting me know of some breaking news that's relevant to the show. Uh, Aaron, India's first Tim Hortons opened today, and it drew massive lines. Uh, Tim Hortons India has officially launched its first ever location, and it looks like people are excited. Two coffee shops located at Select CityWalk Mall and DLF CyberHub offer warm interiors that are inspired by Canadian culture. Both locations opened today, August 11th, and massive lines formed at the ribbon-cutting ceremony as people waited to be led into newly opened spots to see for themselves why the iconic chain means so much to Canadians. People were clearly eager to try several of the brand new menu options we've never seen before in Canada. The chili cheese toast, chicken tikka croissant sandwich, and lamb kebab wrap are just three of the more tasty sounding items these first videos, uh, these first visitors could order on their opening day. Wow. They, um, they included some photos of a whole bunch of people standing in a line. It actually looks a lot like... Like given how multicultural Canada is, this could easily be a photo of Tim Hortons downtown Vancouver or Toronto or Halifax for that matter. Um, but it's just kind of shame that these people are like, oh, this is what Canadians love and is all about. Is, and, then yeah. they're like, and then they bite it and they're like, is that actually chicken? Does the entire country taste like that? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's spreading. Like a disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an infection maybe because hopefully we can find some social penit, some cultural antibiotics to. Yeah, I think this I out. think so. I think we are the, uh, you know, the the audio lab that will work on the, <laughs> you know, well, we'll this pandemic of Hortons will be, will become endemic when we're done with it. Um, 
Well, let's get into this. We have a full slate tonight, but this mm -hmm. theme, we definitely got some kind of COVID-y stuff, anti kind of, I wouldn't say anti-government, but kind of leaning in that direction. There's some of that. And then there's some feel-good stories too, to top it all off or uh, as a sort of palate cleanser at the end, as I like to put it. Okay. Yeah. That's nice that you put it that way. We have a controversial, a controversial organization operating out of a historic Ottawa church. We have an Ottawa police detective facing misconduct allegations for allegedly seeking links between the COVID vaccine and child deaths. We have a Vancouver lady trying to get out of a mortgage thanks to the New World Order conspiracy theory that they believe in. And then we have two stories of cats reunited with their owners. I think I'd like to save that for the end, but what do you want to start with? We got some big stories to unpack here. So which one you want to say to the end? The, let's, uh, let's save the pets for the end. I think that's appropriate to end on that note. You want to end on a nice feel good kind of story. Is that yeah, because the, the first three big stories that we have to talk about are, they have some darker elements, I think, and that are a bit heavier, to, heavier lifting. I think ending with the pets is a good idea. Okay. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Let's jump into the Vancouver Ladies Mortgage. Yeah, let's dig into that one. Okay. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Aaron Habel of Generation Y, and with me is Jack Luna of Dark Topic. We'd like to introduce you to Marooned, a new podcast that's sure to capture your attention. Tales of the catastrophically lost are what we have to offer. Hikers swallowed by the woods. Explorers discovering nothing but destitution. True crime calamity. Oddities of harrowing human experience. It's a museum of misadventure. So pack a lunch. Subscribe to Marooned wherever you find podcasts. We are waiting. Please hurry. Thank you. The article doesn't mention this, but I believe this may be related to the Queen of Canada. And I'll tell you why after I read the article. Yeah, it, it reeked up the queen when I was reading. Yeah. Um, so nowhere in it does it mention the alleged, uh, the self-proclaimed queen of Canada, Romana Digilo, but it does reference a lot of kind of conspiracy theories that she supports and, and her followers do as well. So here's what happened in Vancouver just recently. Okay. A conspiracy theory about the New World Order is not a valid argument in a recent foreclosure case involving a home in Vancouver a judge in British Columbia recently ruled. The case before the provincial Supreme Court was heard last month in Vancouver and involved the Bank of Montreal and two respondents, one of whom did not fight the foreclosure. The other, Karen Wei King Liu, tried to appeal the order made in April involving the sale of her property to the bank this past May. The court heard on July 12th that Liu owed more than 290,000 and, and a foreclosure order had been made in the fall. The homeowner and a second mortgagee were given a redemption period, but made no payments, meaning she's going to have to give up the home. As for why no payments were made, Lou claimed there was no debt owed. 
Her argument involved her belief that a secretive, powerful group is attempting to rule the world through a single global government, the so-called New World Order. She told the court that her mortgage had actually been forgiven in February under two supposed laws referred to by conspiracy theorists as the National Economic Security and Reformation Act and the Global Economic Security and Reformation Act, also known as Nasera and Gisera. Believers of this hoax say the say the first act was secretly passed by U.S. Congress and the second was accepted on a global scale. The laws, however, were never announced and there's no evidence they were ever passed. And believers say that's because all the evidence was destroyed in the World Trade Center attacks of September 11th in 2001. In Lou's case, she tried to argue that these acts meant a global debt forgiveness that included the amount remaining on her mortgage. She, she described it as a pending New World Order that has its roots in the U.S., but was evolved, but had evolved into a global movement to which many companies are signatories, including Canada, Judge Sharon Matthews wrote in a summary of the case. She asserted it involves resignations of world leaders, new currencies that will be backed by gold, and a more harmonious and peaceful world where the enslavement qualities of debt will be abolished. Armed with this theory and a document from a GSERA supporting website, she argued that all credit cards, mortgages, and other bank debt due to illegal banking and government activities have been canceled. She said under the New World Order, all debts are forgiven, and because of this, she didn't have to pay her mortgage. But what she did not have is any documentation or legislation from Canada or British Columbia showing that NISERA or GSERA had been implemented. Lou, who represented herself, of course, had no evidence that either of the acts had been incorporated into foreclosure law either, Judge Matthews said. The arguments were shot down by the judge who sided with the bank and the second mortgagee when they were told that the NISERA and GSERA don't have any part in Canadian foreclosure law. Additionally, they pointed out Lou's appeal was two weeks after the sale order was made, so regardless of her argument, she was out of time. I have not accepted that NISERA and GSERA is a part of the Canadian legal landscape, and I do not accept that Miss Lou has proven there is a new world order pending that will end foreclosure proceedings. The appeal failed, and Lou was ordered to cover the legal costs of BMO and the second mortgagee. Mm. Um, so as I mentioned before we started there, um, that's something that the self-proclaimed queen, she, she talks a lot lately over the last year or so about you know, don't pay your bills, don't pay your power bill, it's illegal, mm. mortgages and all this stuff, all the debt is forgiven by, you know, that's associated with the old Canada. Uh, I really would love to know if this is a follower of Queen Romana. Uh, it definitely reeks of Romana, for sure. Uh, it, I don't know. It's at least adjacent, but when you mm. have... A, it, it, I'm surprised it can go this far, but I guess it's something to be said of the Canadian legal system that you can have this absurd argument against like a major bank and you can get all the way into the courts to defend. That's what I was surprised about, too, is that this made it that far. Like if I told my I feel like if I told my bank that I'm not paying because, uh, you know, some documents in the World Trade Center that were destroyed. <laughs> had dictated that I don't actually owe you anything, that all debt worldwide has been relieved. Um, you know, I don't think that they would take me seriously enough to even, like a, who would who would give the time of day to that to bring it all the way to court? Like, mm -hmm. I don't. But, what, but if someone firmly believes it and that's their stance, like what happens next? Like someone calls you and or sends you a letter or whatever and they're like, you owe us a ton of money? and you don't pay it and maybe you say something crazy to someone at the call center about why you're not paying it 
eventually it's just going to ramp up until the foreclosure proceedings are happening. Like, I guess there's never a point where they just come and no matter what your reasoning is, I guess they never really come and just like arrest you. And I guess unless you're in the house on like foreclosure day, that'd be an issue. Yeah, if it's already everything is said and done and you're already out, but you're still mm-hmm. there. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I've never gone through that process and hopefully I don't. I've tried some things like this with um, back when I would owe late fees on VHS tapes, but it would never got to court. Well, that's still going to catch up with you, though, I think. You think that's behind you, but it's really not. I'm going to try to buy a car. Yeah, money exactly. For uh, American yeah. Beauty. The movie, yeah, 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 I do. Okay. I remember having a situation with like late fees. That was probably oh, one... it was the movie. That was the movie that I thought you were referencing something that happened in the movie, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" No, I just kind of remember um, having a big problem with uh, Sydney Video Ashby about. Uh, I, I think I had the movie and I returned it, but they like something happened where they didn't get it and they were forever on me about paying, yeah. and I ended up. Uh, maybe committing identity theft because I actually went in and gave like a fake name and made up a new account and just acted like, you know, I was a new person. I started over and that's how I got out of it. Um, yeah. Well, this lady in Vancouver who tried to get out of the mortgage, thanks to this whole thing, um, maybe has some things in common with our next story. Although the next story, I think more harkens back to, we covered one before it was in MLA, I believe, in Western Canada, who considered himself an ethical hacker. You remember this guy? I can't recall his name, but he was trying to, um, he was testing the vaccine record website by oh yeah yeah using like the premier's ago, number yeah, all yeah, yeah 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 he went into the premier's health card number or something yeah and it tried like thousands and thousands of times maybe it was even millions of times um but anyway i have a we have a story that's similar to that with a police officer in ottawa and i think this is just a case of someone who uh whose personal beliefs um get mixed up with their actual occupation and what they have access to through their occupation. So let's get into this one next. Uh, and it's just a very short or- article I'll read to you. It's uh, the headline being Ottawa police detective faces misconduct charges for allegedly sinking links between the COVID vaccine and child deaths. An Ottawa police officer is facing misconduct charges for allegedly inserting herself into child death investigations by looking for connections to the COVID-19 vaccine. Investigators with the Ottawa Police Service's Professional Standards Unit allege Constable Heather Groose committed discreditable conduct when she took on a a private investigation process, a private investigation project to find the vaccination status of parents whose infants or children had died. Between June 2020 and January 2022, Gruce allegedly accessed nine child or infant death cases in which she had no investigative role. On January 30th, 2022, Gruce also allegedly interfered directly with an investigation into an infant's death by contacting the father of a deceased baby to inquire about the mother's COVID-19 vaccination status without the lead investigator's knowledge. The charge against Gruce were filed as exhibits at a disciplinary hearing on Monday morning, but she had not yet submitted a plea. Gruce has also been served with a notice of increased penalty, meaning that if she's found guilty of discreditable conduct, the service may seek dismissal or demotion as a penalty. Gruce is a detective with the Sexual Assault and Child Abuse Unit, but she has been suspended since February 4th, 2022. 
this person, what the hell are they thinking? I think I can, in my mind, this is somebody who is just like, I have a feeling if you met them, they, they are someone who is just kind of obsessed with all the, like the vaccine side effects, yeah, all this sort yeah. of stuff. And, um, it's kind of like live by the sword, die by the sword, because I think they really stepped in it by way overstepping their boundaries. It's one thing to access uh, confidential information through like a, you know, your employee employer's network or something, which uh, there would, you'd face serious repercussions for doing that. But when I hear that this person contacted the parent of a dead infant, to ask about the mother's vaccination status. That is just like a step way, 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 way too far. Oh yeah. Like if I were, you know, the the father of that, it was, it was a father they reached yeah, out to. They reached out yeah, the, yeah, they reached out to the father to ask about the mother's vaccination status. Right, yeah, I would have lost my mind. Like... Um, but if it's a cop calling you, maybe they didn't realize right away how bizarre it was, but. But the father would know eventually once this comes to light that this police officer was trying to, you know, link was, was going outside of their boundaries and then yeah. trying to link child deaths with, you know, that that's uh, motivated by, you know, personal beliefs by that police mm -hmm. officer who's, who's acting inappropriately. Like I would have been furious. Yeah. And it said that uh, she contacted the father without the lead investigators knowledge. So who knows how it, all happened but yeah. i can almost imagine the dad asking the lead investigator who he probably had some contact with like yeah i got a weird call one of the cops asking about my you know my wife's or the baby's mother's vaccination status um it's just it's completely nuts and yeah just such a breach of 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 duty um and nowhere within her position to to get involved with this just like the mla who was trying to hack into the the yeah. vaccination status network it's it's crazy but i'm wondering how is this police officer even going to be able to make the link here like it's it's not like this is some kind of doctor in a hospital who has you know direct experience uh you know in, in the field of of you know, immunologies and, and covid and and whatever you know um this is this is a police officer this is outside of their realm completely like mm -hmm. to be able to link any deaths with covid19 vaccinations like how are they possibly going to prove it mm -hmm. um yeah exactly like in my mind it's probably something where they would prove it enough to go on a chat room on the internet and be like you know i'm yeah, I've, I've been noticing, like, because how are you going to prove that when, like, what are the vaccination rates in Canada right now? Like, you know, 90 percent. Like, yeah, like, you it, know, it, just throwing out there. I don't know what the official number is, but it's got to be somewhere close to that. Uh, yeah. Um, how are you possibly going to make a link to be like, OK, so I looked into three or four different uh, infant deaths recently and all of the mothers had vaccinations done were vaccinated for covid like it doesn't prove anything yeah just to say that because yeah, most of the country is vaccinated yeah statistically it's probably like you know more people probably are vaccinated than drink coffee regularly yeah know, so. i mean like i noticed like you know if i was looking into to three different missing persons cases and i found out they all like ice cream mm. lots of people like ice cream mm-hmm 
Yeah, like 80, 90%. Does that mean ice cream is involved? I don't Yeah. And and as far as like a cop's expertise in it, it'd be different again if you're an immunologist and you were looking at Yeah, or you were if you were in the medical field whatsoever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Uh, that's that's what kind of puzzles me about it is is yeah, okay. So you want to maybe see some, but how are you gonna prove any of it? Do you have a theory? This officer who did this, if it's an allegation at this point, but if they're found to have done what is alleged that they had done, should they be demoted? Should they lose their job? Like, what is the what is appropriate? Well, here? we had that story. Was it last week or the police officer? The drunk and Burger King. Yeah, but, yeah. But, and... but with them, there's kind of a question of like substance abuse. They were like, a, a, right. it seemed like they had alcohol problems and they were getting treatment. But this seems a bit different and it's it's like sober willingly calling you know the, the parents or the father of a dead baby to it's ask it's much these... more thought through yeah so and, yeah mm. I, i'm i'm happy to not be the person that's responsible for coming up with the appropriate punishments i certainly hope that the person is punished appropriately mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't yeah. i can't i can't it's not my field of expertise to to say what that punishment is until I guess hear the punishment and we talk about it on this show. Yeah, that's a good, a good way to put it. But I, wouldn't, <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't but... want them handling my case if I had a. I wouldn't want case. them handling any case. And I wouldn't want them to have access. And I wouldn't yeah. want them to have access to my case because that's the other thing too. Is police officers they have a access to a lot of information. Their role, like what comes with their role in the uniform. Um, is uh, socially and culturally it's a big thing in canada so we need you need to police need to be honest and um follow you know the guiding principles of law enforcement the idea of taking your own personal interests uh and putting them way far in front of that of grieving parents um you know that's 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 a tough one but Mm -hmm. it's uh it's i guess i'm surprised that these kind of things happen is a way more commonly than I thought. We have that MLA that we talked about, you know, three or four weeks ago, we have this cop now, like how often is this stuff happening? Oh, I'm sure it's happening way more than we're hearing about. Like these are a few examples that have come across our desk as professional, weird journalists, but, um, they're professional. Uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll go with uh, it. Are you sure? Yeah, sure. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll jump on that. Um, okay, so yeah, that's what we are, you know, and it'll come across our desk and we'll talk about it. Um, there's only been a handful that we've discussed, but I'm sure it, it's happening all of the time. Um, actually, this serves as a really good segue into the next story that we have about the embassy in Ottawa. Because I have a feeling the embassy in Ottawa may be supportive of what this officer well, did. Well, now the, the the listeners who are only, you know, accessing the audio version of this show aren't seeing the air quotes that you're doing. Right oh, now. you're right. I, uh, air so I just want to be very embassy. clear that can you please say air quotes around each air phrase quotes. that you are air quoting? Please repeat yeah. it. That's one that's one struggle I have with podcasting is I air quote a lot when I talk and I'm very sarcastic. If somebody do, if you don't see my air quotes as I do them, 
And if you don't really have a good sense of sarcasm, people listen to me and think I'm nuts. I'm sure of it. Well, this goes back to our earlier discussion of are we professional? Yeah, maybe we're maybe not. we're not. <laughs> when the mishandling of air quotes is happening more often than than we even know. Yeah. Um, well, let's get into the next story. This one is a weird, uh, uh, certainly a weird one. And it's certainly Canadian because it's taken place in our nation's capital of Ottawa. We got a couple news reports that kind of that we can kind of see the evolution of the story. And then we'll get to its present day situation. So let me play the first clip here. Lower town residents watching with caution as St. Bridget's Church is adorned with symbols of a group called the United People of Canada. I did hear wording about it being a HQ, an embassy, a, an office, that kind of thing. Uh, that's the part that makes me a little uncertain. Corporate records show the company was recently formed and directed by three people, Kimberly Ward, William Calmer, and Diane Nolan. All three have close ties to the freedom movement. Uh, we've looked online at who the group is. We've tried to find out uh, what their objectives are. So we're concerned, uh, not terrified, but we're in a fact-finding mission right now, just trying to get a little bit more information. According to social media posts, the United People of Canada are calling the church their new embassy, saying the space functions as a forum of the people where all voices have the opportunity to be heard, regardless of how niche the thought, opinion, expression, or belief. Adding it is strategically located for First Nations, NGOs, and other organizations looking to establish a dialogue with the federal government of Canada. I find myself in a very, uh, very challenging position saying, you know, this is a privately owned property, yet we're here from a city point of view. We have to maintain public safety and we have to be accountable and responsible to residents' concern. Local residents say they're worried the space could bring back some of the tensions of the Freedom Convoy occupation. It's not a good feeling. Not good memories. No, no. It was it was really uh, terrible for a lot of people. CTV News reached out to the United People of Canada along with their three directors and the owner of the building. None of them responded to a request for comment. So that's just the the tip of the iceberg. I guess that sort of introduces mm -hmm. who this group is and what they're doing. I have never heard of them, uh, but the the church they bought. Again, it's right in the center of Ottawa, and it is a massive church. It's beautiful, but um, yeah, it's a really nice church. The idea of just like a, a a random group forming without any real like kind of background or or, or clear or like kind of organization to buy a massive church downtown Ottawa and use it as a, in the next piece that I'm going to play, we'll we'll hear kind of what their plan is because in in that first article we just listened to or that first report. Uh, they had the journalists hadn't heard back from the representatives of the church or I'm calling it a church. The building's a church, but the group doesn't seem to be like a religious. No, group. no, it doesn't seem to have any. It's just the building. They have a building now. Yeah, the, the building was a church, but it is just kind of like a community. It's a headquarters kind of now, kind of whatever. There were, yeah, they refer to it as an embassy, which sounds very. Well, I guess, an embassy would have to imply that there's other locations and but that i if they refer to it as their embassy that almost comes across as like a statement that it seems a little like anti-government or something like they're separate from like they're yeah like a like pretoria and family guy <laughs> yeah let's um 
before we talk too much into what our thoughts on it and what's about to happen or what's been happening in the last few days, I'm going to play a second video because what happened was shortly after that video was published, it seems that the journalists heard from the owners and organizers of the embassy, and I'm using air quotes here, uh, and were offered a tour of the property. So we'll get we'll get to see it and, mm-hmm. and uh, hear a bit about what their their plans and their kind of mission with this is. A look behind the doors of this historic lower town building. Yeah, stage area here, just uh, be much like you see right now. Now a space the United People of Canada are calling their embassy. Converting it more into a community cafe style concept. Project director William Comer says it's part of a larger plan. Uh, we're repurposing you know, infrastructure uh, right here at uh, St. Bridget's uh, Church, former St. Bridget's Church here in Ottawa. And uh, throughout the country, we're going to be acquiring a number of properties, acreage, and different uh, assets to create vibrant community spaces. The former St. Bridget's project would include a cafe and a space that once was a pub, as well as a stage for musical performances and speaking sessions, and a co-working space too. The goal of St. Bridget's is to, uh, in part, bring back to the community what was a, a great community space uh, previous to it being shut down. Already a gathering point for its supporters, who insist it's a separate cause from February's Freedom Convoy occupation. Like a lot of the same people are in both groups, but they're not connected. They're not part of a bigger organization. The project hasn't come without critics, some aligning this group with the Freedom Movement. One of the group's directors describes herself as an advisor to Tamara Leach's partner. In a letter to area residents, Councillor Matthew Fleury says St. Bridget's is a beloved institution with long-standing community ties and history. I am concerned about losing this and seeing a group not linked to our city or community take over this local community's historic space. Now the group says they've had issues with vandalism. Several flags have been damaged and taken down. The building is still in the process of being acquired. It was on the market for nearly $6 million. So for people who are listening to that and can't see the, the video of it, um, the journalists, uh, their, their film team was very creative in how they, um, how they positioned their shots because it seemed like every time they had a video of like the outside of the church or the people or outside of the building and the people gathering, there was either like, you know, upside down Canadian flags or trucks that have like, you know, that F Trudeau all over them. Mm. Every, a lot of like kind of freedom, this and freedom, that kind of shirts on and stuff for the different people. To me, it, it comes across really as like a super organized and well-funded version of kind of like the freedom movement. It, it said at the end, the building was for sale for $6 million. Yeah, yeah, six million. That's that's a pretty penny. Where does that money come from? Well, uh, that's the question, I guess. Who is the you know who's the ultimate funder of this thing? Yeah, because it, it seems like, as far as these uh, articles make it seem, it's for the most point uh, for the most part just kind of like a ragtag group of people that are indirectly related to the Freedom Convoy and stuff. Of course, there was a lot of money in a Bitcoin and stuff that came with the freedom yeah, convoy. Yeah. But so a part of me is like, could it be connected to that? Cause 6 million is a lot of money to get. If, if the, if you're especially your business... the, the casual presentation of it, you yeah, know, like... it's just a community space with a cafe and a, and a stage for performance and just a place to kind of, you know, bounce around ideas and everyone's welcome. And, so that to me seems like such a cavalier presentation of what 
this would be like to, to fund something like that, to be so casual about yeah. it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Exactly. It's, it's coming across like as a community hall, you know, that's, that's sort of thing, like a, a creative arts space, which it's great if you can get some government funding and uh, yeah, get some, if that's the true intention donors, it, you know, like, yeah, we just want to set up an art space with a cafe and, and have a welcoming environment for anyone to come down and, and see a show, drink some coffee, share some ideas. You know, that's that's all great, but it um, definitely has a very suspicious kind of undertone to it. Especially where most a lot of the people involved are from are, are not from Ottawa. They're kind of like outsiders who've come for this purpose. Yeah. Which I could see why residents of Ottawa in that area would be concerned and i saw several videos of people you know in verbal arguments with the united people of canada whatever the name of this group is it, it is it's, it's just a weird story but the most recent update so like what, what we've done now is we've just kind of gotten through the background but the most recent update i think paints it in a different light and to me comes across as making me go from kind of suspicious to maybe even concerned about what this mm -hmm. group is up to. So yeah. at, at the end of that article, there was mention of there's been some vandalism, like flags being ripped up and this sort of thing. Um, it seems like the group is uh, hoping to maybe take the law into their own hands a little bit. Let me read you. I, I don't, there's not a video for this. This is just a, um, a text article that I'm going to read to you. A controversial organization operating out of a historic Ottawa church has set up what it calls a private security force, saying it was necessary because the police weren't responding to its concerns quickly enough. The United People of Canada said it has identified people it claims have committed crimes targeting the group and is prepared to ensure the rule of law is upheld within our lawful authority according to William Comer, one of the group's directors. However, Comer wouldn't share details about whether the force will be made up of outsider contractors or the group's supporters. The exact security force, who's involved, we're keeping that completely private, Comer said on Tuesday. Security and investigative agencies in Canada must or sorry, security and investigative agencies in Ontario must have a valid license, but the Ministry of the Solicitor General, which oversees them, said it hasn't heard from the TUPC about its force. Meanwhile, some community members are questioning why a private security force is necessary. For them to talk about a private security team, some residents have said, what is this, a militia? Said Sylvia Begris, president of the Lower Town Community Association. This is incredibly concerning. Comer says there's no plan for vigilante justice or a militia. It's just a lawful security force. An August 4th Facebook comment from the organization said it plans to create a sizable security force and that it had commissioned its first members to stand guard. According to a statement from the organization, the force will be made up of licensed security guards, special constables, or paid duty police officers, licensed private investigators, private prosecutors, and a community liaison team. The private force is already operational, Comer said on Tuesday. It will be paid for through community contributions, and the group is also considering contracting it out to other organizations or businesses, he added. From our perspective, we're not receiving adequate police services, Comer said, explaining that the force will ensure protection of his property, our members, and participants at various events and functions we will be holding. 
Asked what issues the, the group has encountered so far, the director said that one of their banners had been taken, some of their flags had been stolen, and the property had been vandalized. On Tuesday, the word cult could be seen in faded spray paint out front. Members of the organization have also received death threats, he said. Despite providing information to police, Comer said investigators have not been moving fast enough for us with, oh, had not been moving fast enough for us with respect to dealing with these criminal acts. So I think the idea of them, they can afford this massive building to set up for their vague kind of community group building kind of community building project. That's one thing, but then to add in a private security team with like prosecutors and all this stuff, like it just, to me, it seems like what the hell is going on there? Yeah, it's, it sounds like they're setting up their own kind of area of where they'll law themselves. Yeah. And it's like, it seems like it's almost like a step or two away from just putting a fence around the whole thing. Yeah. And, like, and then this, this little piece of land in this building is, is run by us. It's, you know, we're, we don't abide to the laws outside of this piece of property. And mm. You know, when when they when they're enforcing everything themselves there, I guess I don't know. It's yeah, it's I guess what we'll to see how it plays out. I mean, right now it's it's still in the early stages, I guess. But yeah, it's it's just it kind of it's weird, man. Um, in the funding is just incredible. Like to hire all these people to buy this church to staff it. And it does, and it seems again like it's used as more as like a drop-in center. So the I don't see how it's making money. They don't have a cafe, even a, even if they did even have a, a cafe, cafe is not yeah like you know, like gonna, a building like that. You know? Yeah, seriously, it's like a yeah. you know a twenty thousand square foot cafe, maybe even more than twenty. It's because big ass building. Well, maybe if they're charging the same prices as Starbucks, they might. Uh, yeah, they may to... do all right. Yeah. <laughs> or you know, like we talked about Tim Hortons last week with the way they. Uh, value a hot drink yeah maybe they got their 50 cents or whatever maybe this group is going on some of the details of tim horton's uh class action settlement thing and like what you're getting nine bucks a hot drink and you know yeah yeah gotta get Um, into that business and and we'll put our own security involved too and we'll force people to pay that much for a coffee the the idea of the getting back to the funding this kind of reminds me as well of queen romana and her supporters she is in Halifax, not in Halifax, she's in Nova Scotia right now for the second time in, in maybe six or eight months. She's been, her and her team, as she calls them, have been just going across the country in a fleet of RVs and vehicles in a sort of convoy, just going from place to place, can't, staying at, you know, in a parking lot or at campgrounds or whatever in all their vehicles. Um, they've been all over the country and they, they just got back into Nova Scotia maybe in the last day or two. And... I, like I'd love to know where they're getting their money because they're driving these massive RVs. The price of gas is insane, and she, they must be feeding all these people because they got a whole group with them. But um, yeah, I guess there are people willing to fund these kind of projects. Yeah, I mean, you know, amongst you know, there's a certain percentage of of the population that that you know buy into this, and and a certain percentage of them are wealthy. So it probably doesn't take too long to raise enough money to have adventures like this. Mm-hmm. Um, well, these have all been weird Canadian stories. Uh, I, I talked about last night, I, I did a recording with 
Chris Rutkowski, who's like a Canadian UFO researcher expert. And we talked about um, the pandemic and the way Canadians and the world have reacted to like COVID and the vaccines and all this as like maybe support for why the government wouldn't tell us about UFOs and aliens if they did know about it. Um, in these kind of stories, like the police officer digging through the records and these groups kind of buying churches or Queen Romana touring around the country in kind of anti-government kind of things, it all reinforces my belief that if the it, uh, that if the world governments knew that there were extraterrestrials visiting us on UFOs, it's probably best that they don't let people know. I, I actually agree with you. Um, if I were at the head of a government and I had access to information that proved that that extraterrestrial life was real and it has in fact visited this planet, whatever, I would withhold that information. I would not present I'd say, it because I'd say these, these people can't deal with anything. Because there's such a chunk of the population that would lose their minds over that. Like if I heard that, you know, if I was sitting and I turned the TV on and, and it was breaking news and it said, it has just been proven that uh aliens are real they've visited us they will be visiting us again you know they they've been around our entire existence they're much more advanced than us etc cetera, etc cetera. i'd be like yeah it makes sense you know as, as long as they're cool i don't care <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know it doesn't that that wouldn't affect me at all unless it was like okay they're invading um, if, if you, you are going to either be enslaved by them or you're going to be obliterated by them, you know, that's your two choices. Um, yeah, I'd be concerned about that, but I'd go, I'd go with enslaved. If you had to choose, yeah, mm -hmm. that depends on the enslaving. Like, what are you going to be doing for them? Like, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Hopefully you, know, you just, I, well, not all of us will be, will be dressed up and and having dinner with them and yeah you know and and, and right. there for their entertainment or enjoyment some people will be doing a lot of the grunt work and Ooh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know but um there's, there's a but i i guess my point is that it the the knowledge of of extraterrestrial life wouldn't although as cool and awesome as it would be to finally hear that it's not going to affect me personally you know mm. too much mm. uh, other than just my general interest um, but there are other people who will lose their minds over it, you know, um, and and complete chaos would probably break out. Yeah, they will start cults and they're already starting cults about aliens and we don't know for sure yet. Well, but... I mean, the entire religious structure would crumble. <laughs> yeah, it certainly would. <laughs> you know, like what everything that was that was believed in by probably not all religions, but a lot of them will come crumbling down before their eyes. Hmm. Or have to be rewritten to incorporate the aliens. Kind of like, yeah, when it was discovered that there was dinosaurs and then some yeah. rejigging oh, had to happen. <laughs> yeah, we got the timelines weird now. There's no dinosaurs in the Bible. Uh, <laughs> what are we gonna do? <laughs> um, there, there's a great song by the one of my favorite bands, Porno for Pyros. The song's called Pets, and it's all written about. Um, Kind of like if aliens came and the, this idea that humans would be amazing pets and uh, i like to think that i would be a pet for some great alien and I'd i would you know what i'm putting that out there right now you know if the aliens are listening to this podcast i'd love to be their pet i'll dance for you i'll juggle i'll i'll you know 
I'll go do for walks. Yeah, go for walks. What else do pets do? I'll nap in the corner, you know, and you can take pictures of me and put them on your alien Instagram. <laughs> We're lightening the mood ourselves, but let's find, let's jump into the last few stories that will lighten it even more. Uh, you and I both like pet stories. That's something through in the history of this series. We've talked about a lot of different animal and animal related stories. This past week, there have been uh, two individual stories that in both that in both involve friendly furry friends returning home after strange adventures uh, do you want to start with a cat or with a dog well i have a cat so let's let's um let's end on the cat okay so which one's the crazier story uh the geez. cat is you think i think they're both pretty wild uh, one is oh, just wild animal stories. One is a bit more like fantastic, and the other one's a bit more like dramatic. Well, I'll just pick one. I don't care. Okay, let's go with the cats. So we've we've done something similar to this before, but I don't know if it was this long of a gap. A lost cat returns to a Winnipeg woman after nine years. Before I read the article, what's the life expectancy of a cat like? Well, um, an indoor cat, you're looking at a solid, you know, between 15, 17, even 20 years, you know, oh, really? okay. indoor cats. Well, an outdoor cat has a shorter life expectancy. So, you know, 14 years, maybe okay. something like that. Still a nine years, a considerable part of a cat's life. So let's oh, hear it's, it's a, yeah, that's, that's a massive amount. Let's hear what happens. Shocked and surprised is how Michelle Bombay felt when she received a message from the Winnipeg Humane Society explaining to her that they had found her cat, Eva. What blew her away was that Eva had been missing for nine years. When she received the message, she originally drove down, drove down there with her brother and her niece. When she arrived, there was one major difference in Eva compared to when she, when she was last seen in 2013. The lady went to get her. We were shocked at how much weight she gained because she was small when she went missing, said Bombay. Bombay said Eva originally went missing after she snuck outside. Bombay made a Facebook post about her and would scour the neighborhood calling Eva's name in hope that they would find her. Bombay said she eventually forgot about the Facebook post and gave up hope that she'd ever find Eva. Audrey Barnaby is the manager of intake and animal care at the Humane Society and said they were able to identify Eva's owner through an ID tattoo. They were then able to find Bombay on Facebook and sent her a message. Sometimes when we find a, a tattoo and the cat's been missing a while, people aren't able or don't want to take the annual animal back. But we were really, really happy. We were able to track down this person on Facebook and she was thrilled to have the, to have the cat back after so many years, said Barnaby. Barnaby, Barnaby recommends that all pet owners make sure their animal has a microchip or a tattoo ID as they provide the best chance of being able to be reunited. She said someone brought Eva to the Humane Society saying she was found outside and they figured she was missing. Barnaby said a situation like this is quite unusual. Months, even a year or two, isn't super rare, but nine years is a really long time that a cat is missing. It's extremely rare. Eva was quite healthy when she was dropped off, Barnaby said, and noted someone was obviously looking after her for a while because she was well fed. Bombay said she's super thankful to whoever looked after her cat Eva for all those years and also appreciates the people who brought her to the Humane Society. With a story like this, Barnaby said it shows the importance of always holding out hope 
when an animal goes missing. And she reminds people to make sure their animal has a chip or a tattoo. If they go missing, people could create a Facebook post and also be in contact with the Humane Society so they can also be aware if the animal is ever brought back to them. So nine years. I wonder if the cat would even remember their prior owner after all that period of time. Um, I'd like to say yes, but my, my gut tells me probably not. <laughs> nine years. Yeah, um, after nine years, I'd say the cat has has lived a whole other life. Yeah, certainly. And if it's big, like a big, and I saw like before and after photos, the, the article included a photo of Eva, the cat around the time she went missing in a present day photo. It looks like an altogether different cat, a lot bigger. And, you know, certainly yeah, if it wasn't for the chip or, or whatever it was, there's no way that the link would have been made to, to that owner. I've never heard of a tattoo ID for a cat. I've heard of the no, microchip. I've heard of the chip. I've never heard of the tattoo either, but uh apparently they exist it'd be weird to tattoo a cat that'd be a cool job though no i should give it put a, a tattoo that says i love human on a cat <laughs> um but it's good she's reunited with her cat and, and also it's oh, great it's that... wonderful yeah no it's a, it's a nice story it's it's unbelievable like it's it would be you know interesting if i lost a cat for nine years and assumed it was completely probably dead Oh, sir, after nine I don't know years, how my relationship would be with it when it came back, though. It would kind of, you've seen the movie Pet Cemetery? Yeah, it'd be just like that. That's how I would, I'd always be watching. Like, what have you been up to for nine years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been feeding be, you the devil himself. I'm just wondering if I would, I would have resentment towards it. Like, why, why'd you leave me? <laughs> you, you went for milk and bread and you never came back. Hmm. Why'd you go? Is it me? Is it me? Um, so the story with Eva, there's a gap of nine years, a lot of unanswered questions. I have another story. This concerns a dog, a Chihuahua specifically in Ontario. This one is more clear cut. We know exactly what's happened. Uh, and it has only it's only a short period of time that it all happens. And so they, they don't have to deal with a lot of the things that uh, Michelle Bombay and Eva will have to deal with. I'm going to play the... the um, I'm going to play you an article covering mm -hmm. the situation with the Chihuahua. Danny Coyle and his 11-year-old dog, Lulu, are reunited following a frightening 12 hours. Coyle says on Monday afternoon, he made a brief stop at his workplace just around the corner from his Scarborough home when all of a sudden... As soon as I came back out within 30 seconds, not even a minute, I don't think, and all of a sudden I looked out and I said, Oh my God, someone took my car. The white Kia SUV was gone with Lulu in the front seat. Coyle quickly became distressed over his dog's safety. What was going through your mind? Uh, panicking because I, I didn't care about my car. It's just her I was worried about. After a desperate hours long search around his area with no sign of Lulu, an extremely concerned Coyle went to bed. But not too long after his head hit the pillow, he was woken up with a call from police. So we uh, get good news, says so we got your car and we got Lulu. Durham police tracked the stolen vehicle to Oshawa and successfully placed the driver into custody. 
Officers told Coyle a high-speed chase was involved with the suspect reaching speeds of up to 180 kilometers an hour. At last, the two were reunited early Tuesday morning with Lulu doing just as well as when Coyle last saw her. It was fantastic. She came up with the big kisses and all that kind of stuff. And he says, can we take photos of her now? So he put her in the seat and take a photo after photo. Along with Lulu, Coyle's car is now back in his driveway following that hours-long joyride, which included a trip to McDonald's, a handful of cigarettes, not to mention the front and back end damage. 28-year-old Patrick Burke of Toronto is facing numerous charges, including possession of a property obtained by crime over and driving while under suspension. As for Coyle, while he's one of the lucky ones to get his car back, he says he's even luckier to have his furry companion back in his arms. She's just that little special kind of little person. And I, I call her a little person. <laughs> She's a great little girl. Brittany Rosen, Global News. Lulu and Mr. Coyle. Oh, man, that guy loves his dog, eh? Oh, yeah, he does. I love to hear that. It reminds me, my, my dad had a little dog named Maggie, and it was like, he, it was everywhere with the dog. And it's like you drive in the car, the dog, the little tiny dog, like kind of like Lulu, that chihuahua. The dog was always on my dog, my dad's lap everywhere. Yeah. But um, you see, like, so someone steals this guy's car and his dog is in it. That's. I'd be, I'd be just sick if that happened. Yeah. And yeah. And you so. hear this. I, I find uh, this guy, I found it heartwarming. I could really hear how much he, he was. Oh, yeah, yeah. You could tell that it was pretty genuine. Yeah, um, he must have been flipping out, but it's it all happened pretty fast. Um, they got the guy who did it, and I hope that they take during his sentencing or whatever will eventually happen to the guy who stole the vehicle. I hope they take into consideration that he took a dog along with the vehicle as like kind of like an aggravating factor. Yeah, <laughs> just wondering, like, yeah, the, the 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 thief's kind of mentality at the time, you know. I'm, I, yeah, I got this dog. I don't know what to do with the dog that's in the car I stole, but I'm starving. <laughs> I gotta go. Yeah, because he goes to McDonald's. He goes said. to McDonald's and he picks up cigarettes probably. And he's just like, I'm just going to smoke and eat a Big Mac. And, and I know. guess I have a dog now. Yeah, I can't take care of this dog. Like, what am I going to do with this dog? Especially if the uh, thief is like a dog guy. Like, imagine, like, I'm just kind of imagining it could almost be like a, uh, I can picture it as a, like a comedy movie where like the thief is like someone who just loves dogs and has to deal with it. Maybe down on their luck, they had to steal a vehicle for some reason. Now they're stuck with this dog, but, um, and then yeah. maybe the dog turns to a life of crime. Like maybe they bond, you know, and then the dog kind of starts to help this criminal steal. Ah, and, and he then, uses the dog like he starts to do crimes that like only a small dog could get away with. A chihuahua, yeah. And yeah, then, yeah. And then eventually, in committing these crimes for its new owner, it stumbles upon its free its previous owner, Mister Coyle. Maybe it's breaking into his house or a business or something. Mm -hmm. And then the dog is kind of confronted with the Who's one person, choose the, the one person the, who truly his loves old him. life that was crime free and. You know, with with the, an owner that loved him, or this kind of uh, you know criminal vagabond that you know 
kind of needs the dog's help more than the other guy does. Mm, and I have, and I have no doubt that Mr. Coyle would take the dog back in a minute, even if it's been through some tough stuff and made some bad decisions. And then maybe he does go back to the old owner, you know, because he's like, that's the right thing to do. But then he starts to become conflicted after he's back, you know, that he's, he's grown accustomed to the life of crime. Mm. And so then he starts to, you know, commit crimes without his old owner finding out. Okay. Yeah, that could be, well, that would have to be the sequel, I guess, to this, because this is a movie series. Well, no, I, I see this as a, as a Netflix style kind of series, um, 13 episodes a season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. I'd say five seasons at least. Yeah, we'll put the pitch together. Yeah, and there'll be spinoffs, you know, like it'll be probably bigger and better than Breaking Bad. And then it'll have prequels. Better Call Doll, Dog, you know, <laughs> prequels. And, you know. I like it. I like it. Yeah, it's going to be something big, this franchise of films and yeah, yeah, I products. Think, I think this is probably the rest of our lives, you and I, is, is this story that we're now grabbing a hold of and we're going to just you know really take it to the moon it's a world we're building yeah all right well we got to get to it so let's wrap this episode yeah well up. he'll be a space dog eventually mm -hmm. um the aliens will take him <laughs> uh aaron anything coming up in your life you want to tease or tell us about i know you're always you always got something well <laughs> um i am on vacation right now but i'm going back to work next week oh damn i thought you said you'd come to halifax uh, let's end this podcast right now. Okay. Uh, Aaron, until next time. I'm Jordan, until next time. Look after your dog. Look after your... Bye. <laughs> See ya. I'm an alien. I want to thank you for joining Aaron and I in our Keep Canada Weird discussion. But before we part here, I have some thanks. A big thanks to Aaron for sharing an evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A big thanks to the internet's favorite cult leader, Unicole, who supplies the intro and outro voiceovers. But the most important thanks of all is going to go to every one of you listening, as without your interest and your support, nighttime would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you listen on the premium feed. And not only does the premium feed keep the show alive, it gives you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed as I'm adding exclusive content regularly and maintain a full back catalog of episodes only on the premium feed. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, you can go premium at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And on the topic of the premium feed, let me thank the newest subscribers, Andrew F. and the Queen of Sweden, Miss Jasmina. Thank you for going premium. If anyone else would like to support the show, but can't do it financially, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing the episode on social media and letting any like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas, if you want to get feedback on the show, or contribute a voice memo to be aired in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com contact. We hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.
Hi. Her name is Elspeth. Elspeth Tassioni. You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now, she's in New York with the NYPD. This is very different. Better. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tassioni? <laughs> Elspeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.